Welcome to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ, hosted by Personal Responsibility Recovery. Join the conversation. Call or text now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's your host, Mark Myers. And welcome to the Recovery Hour with the uh, actual the host is uh, Dr. Kirby Stewart. They've got me down as the Recovery Hour host, which uh, I guess I'm kind of a co-host. It's Brought to you by Personal Responsibility Recovery each week. Um, We're here every Monday from 6 to 7. And, you know, the the goal of the show is to talk about addiction. It's to talk about alcoholism, substance use disorders. Uh, We've got to do a better job. We've got to normalize those conversations. It's uh, opioid overdose, uh, fentanyl poisoning, those leading cause of death in the 18 to 45 year old range and uh you know it's it's just uh, uh we say it all the time we've got to do better with the education the resources uh, we hear a lot about this program that program but it affects 70 something million americans a year and we've we've just got to get this talked about more we've got to get resources out there and that's the goal of this show and uh, Dr. Kirby Stewart, our spiritual director with Personal Responsibility Recovery, you know, he, he joins me. We're a small 12-bed treatment center. Uh, we can't change the world doing 12 people at a time, but we sure hope to uh, change by getting more people uh, aware of resources. And we always have a great guest with us. And uh, today, that that's Chris Gates. Last time we was here, we didn't have adult supervision Dr. Stewart, you're here today, so uh, yeah. we'll we'll try to stay on topic a little bit. But uh, yeah, Chris, we certainly appreciate you being here, and uh, Dr. Stewart as well on this this rainy rainy afternoon, which we so need, so desperately need. Yeah, yeah, I want to uh, jump in with the comment that we we do want to normalize conversations about. Uh, addiction as a disorder that requires support and attention. And and another goal we have in this recovery hour is to talk about recovery. And that's why it's called the recovery hour. Uh, And we like to present recovery as not only uh, freedom from addiction, but as a hell of a great way to live. Yeah, I mean, even defining recovery is a, has been a challenge for the it last has. for twenty years. What does yeah. it even mean? Like, and, and there's a lot of different. You know, I know twelve step world where I first found recovery. Like, it's got to be abstinence, and like, and for a guy like me, that's really true. But it may not be true for everybody. And there's, like, we were talking earlier, like, but it's if if you're having enough of a problem with drugs and alcohol or even mental health issues. To have to seek treatment for it, it's probably a good idea if you stop everything for a couple of years. Yeah. At least. My, my yeah. own path is uh, is that with a 12-step. It is uh, it is complete abstinence from all mood and mind-altering drugs. Um, someone asked me one time, my drug of choice, it's more, um, just always. And uh, But again, there is things such as harm reduction. Um, what Absolutely. Can, yeah, no. what can make life better? And we're not the judge and jury of that, but we're a great resource to try and change the things in life that aren't working. And uh, gosh, I mean, Dr. Stewart, where do you start? I mean, well, <laughs> self-medication, mental illness, uh, yeah, all, no, all of the, the things the that we just shows, don't address. Data shows that 
roughly 85% of people who seek medical care for addiction have been subjected to abnormal amounts of childhood trauma. And many of those uh, traumatic uh, episodes are lost to memory. A lot of people are carrying them around and don't even remember them. I also uh, have been interested in data that shows that traumatic births uh, are associated with addiction. so that the uh, conversation ought to be about addressing uh, trauma and addressing the mood disorders that are associated with trauma and addressing uh, addiction as a form of PTSD so that post-traumatic growth becomes uh, part of recovery. And, And, And for me, too, it's like, well, first, there are a lot of things. I would have told you that I don't have any trauma because I don't have any PTSD. Uh, But a dear friend who's a very talented trauma therapist told me that the same two events can happen to, the the same event can happen to two people. It will cause both of them trauma, but one will develop PTSD because they didn't feel safe as a child and the other one won't. Exactly. And I've been working the last few years on looking at things that with trauma just meaning it's something that happened that shifted the way I think and the way I interact with the world. Yeah, and, and and then you know trauma and mood disorders and all of that massively negatively impact spiritual health, which is for me the driver underneath most substance use anyway, mm-hmm. and uh and it exacerbates all the mental health stuff and so it's all these different pieces that nobody understands, and uh you know and not only does the data show that an awful lot of people have trauma in their childhood, whether it's caused PTSD or not, but also an inordinate number of people who seek help are treated like, well, they're just treated like dirt by the by the medical profession when they go try to seek help Yeah, outside of the addiction treatment field. If you, I mean, if I go to the emergency room on the verge of a diabetic coma because I'm a di- I have diabetes and I ate a bunch of candy, mm-hmm. uh, they put me in the hospital. But if I show up at the emergency room going, I'm losing my mind and about to die on drugs, they go, get out. <laughs> yeah. Or they give you other drugs, hold you for 72 hours, and then say get out. Right. And, and, just, and that's, again, purpose of the show right. and, is education. The shame and guilt that surrounds, regardless of whether this is childhood trauma, abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, genetic, at some point you can no longer live life with or without the use of drugs and alcohol. Uh-huh. What do you do? And that's when you've got to seek help. And, and those are all the things that, that we have to figure out without shame, without guilt. Seek help. Those are the things that we need to look at. It's one of the one of my big uh, rallying cries for the last 15 years or so is that everybody knows what an addict looks like, but nobody really knows what recovery looks like because once we recover, we blend well. And, <laughs> we really and, do. And, and so and, – but, but people don't know. So it's like I'm terrified – and I can't keep using the way I've been using, but I have no idea what's on the other side of that. I, ha- I can't visualize it. And yeah. what a what a great topic to lead into. We've got to take a, a very quick break. It uh, These segments go by so incredibly fast, especially when we have Chris Gates and Dr. Kirby Stewart start talking to each other and – it it uh, it kind of a little flies bit like by. ping pong. It, it is, I'm, and I'm in the middle, doing just our, watching. Doing our so, best not to both talk at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're going to be back in just a second. Uh, there we go. 
Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Monday at 6 p.m. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Mark Myers. And that's with Mark Myers and, of course, Dr. Kirby Stewart and uh, our special guest, Chris Gates, uh, who's done a tremendous amount for the recovery community here in, well, not just here in Austin, but uh, everywhere. And, you know, if you're just joining us, PR Recovery, uh, Personal Responsibility Recovery, we're a small 12-bed residential treatment program for men, alcohol and substance use disorders. And, uh, you know, this show's not about simply us. It's about providing resources, providing medical opinions, education, things that, uh, you know, it's hard to ask for help. It's really hard to ask for help when you find that you can no longer function with or without the use of drugs. And uh, there's a lot of folks finding that. And, you know, you don't – on the break we were talking, you don't have to wait until you can no longer function with or without the use of drugs. You typically have a clue, maybe more than one, that that moment's coming. Like, like you don't have to just set every bridge there is on fire and – burn burn your world down and this time of year right it is like sort of statistically in treatment centers a lot of people come in when the seasons change yeah. and then there's a lull you know people start people hold their breath through the holiday season they try to and then you know a bunch <laughs> of people come in the first of december because of the mess they made at thanksgiving yes and a bunch of people come in the first of january <laughs> and the uh, mess they made at christmas yeah. but uh imagine not making a mess. Imagine saying, I've had enough. I need help. And imagine that there's a way to live without needing the drugs and alcohol. Because that's really the point, right? It's like the the thing that changed for me was that I had this moment and, you know, I had overdosed and died a number of times. And I had this moment where I was trying to decide whether to to get high or kill myself. and, And I had this thought about there has to be another way to live. And I have no idea what it is. Exactly. And then I and that thought landed. And then doors because I began to look for another way, doors began to open and resources began to present themselves. They were probably already there. I just wasn't looking. And uh, yeah. and, th- and then I began to meet people who used to be where I was and weren't anymore. And I could I began to visualize that it was doable, that there was a way to live and be me. And I'm not talking about like how not to how not to drink with my buddies. I'm talking about how do I go to the grocery store and fold my clothes and put them away and have a job without having to drink or use. And a relationship. And anything. Exactly. And a and, life. And, you know, and being able to build that. And like we said, we're trying to raise the bar because there's 23 million people in, in heavy substance use disorder every year in this country and only like two and a half million get treatment, but there's also like 40 or 50 million in moderate substance use disorder that haven't gotten to that place yet. And the families that are affected by it. And you can begin to, and the the beauty of the last 10 or 15 years is that more and more resources are available to people earlier and earlier in the curve. And awareness is becoming greater and greater of the nature of the problem, what the solution looks like and what a life without drugs and alcohol looks like. It's still a bit of a mystery to a lot of folks. It can be, absolutely. Yeah, well, I think uh, it's what you you mentioned in passing, Chris, is extremely important, and that is to recognize that there are people who once had a, quote, problem, unquote, who are now living well, happily, with joy and freedom and connected. And And nothing's missing. 
nothing's missing, and they're at choice in their life. And they're actually generating a day-to-day -day experience that leaves them creative. And they're not constantly reacting from one situation to they're another. They're not surviving. Yeah. They're beyond, Just pure surviving yeah, mode. Yeah. Their survival is assured by something that arises within them. I call it a pers personal viability, and they oftentimes we refer to it as a relationship with a higher power, spiritual wholeness, call it what you want, but it, it, it's truly a sense of freedom and personal efficacy in the face of life's challenges. So that life isn't overwhelming anymore. Life is uh, an open field to play in. Uh, that's kind of a, a poetic way of talking about it. But yeah, when somebody asked me, I was hanging out with a friend who's also in long-term recovery, and we had another friend who didn't realize that we were both sober and, mm -hmm. and was going, like, don't you ever just want to have a beer? And like we both kind of went, you yeah, know. No. No. That's <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> like, and I get that. I've had my share. <laughs> but it, you know, and not just that, but it's like the experience that I'm having on a daily basis now doesn't need augmenting. And right. that doesn't mean I don't have bad days. And there's not times when I wish I didn't have to be me for a while. But I know the consequences for a guy like me if I try to use something to not be me for a while, which is what drugs and alcohol were about for a good portion of my life, was just how much can I take to be somebody else for a while? Because yeah. being me is awful. And so – and but – even in even on my worst days, it's it'll pass. It's fine, and I'm not lighting myself on fire anymore. And I'm not hanging out with people who like to light me on fire. So life's pretty calm. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think also you referenced again in passing somewhat the difference really between your brain and the brain of someone who could use uh, substances of abuse and not develop the compulsivity around subsequent use patterns and not become addicted, basically. Right. And, well, it, you know, that's what we talk about in treatment a lot is that there is a fundamental difference between the brains of people who use substances of abuse and become addicted and the brains of people who use those same substances of abuse and do not become addicted. And that, br that difference is, is what... Uh, matters and deserves special attention. Uh, the yeah. way we, we the way we treat addiction in this country is is similar to like imagine you know I was an ER doc for a number of years and when somebody came in in a, a diabetic coma we didn't just like give them insulin and then send them on their way. We yeah. we treated them. We you know we instituted a whole lifestyle change for them and got them and in contact with counselors and dietitians and nutritionists, et cetera, et cetera. That's called treatment of diabetes. Well, what we do now with addiction in this country is we only address it as a problem Acute when care. they're in the coma, basically. And, and it's gotten a lot better in the last 10 years, um, largely because the treatment industry has learned how to use alternate billing codes to provide con continuing levels of care. Right. But, but like insurance won't pay for sober living. They so, won't pay you know, for so, residential treatment, you know, and so it's there's a it, there's yeah. a lot of you know, and you know, there are a lot of factors in there, but it's like, yeah, we're, we're we have to move out of an acute care model. We have to move out of a this is a moral failing, and you know, I saw data ten years ago that said forty eight percent of licensed medical professionals still believe addiction is a moral failing. Yeah, I was like, that's 
shocking and yeah. not helpful. But uh, the the biggest one that I saw, and I, I believe it was Dr. Matt Masters or possibly Dr. Carter, uh, made the comment that a physician, a family physician, a, a normally trained regular family, only about, I think he said, 5% have any special training in addiction medicine. That it's just such a, a rarity, even for a medical professional, to have the specific training of a fellow of, med- of addiction medicine or something along those lines. And it that's mind-boggling to me that you can go to your doctor with a substance use disorder and not really be given the information and resources that need to be given out. Yeah. There's small changes being made. Like I was part of a team that was going in to the people's community clinics, especially the ones that were dealing with women who were pregnant and stuff. And and they had instituted a screening looking for substance use issues, but they didn't know what to do with any of that. And they didn't really understand where they were headed with it. And they, they didn't understand why the women were lying on all of it because they didn't want CPS cases. And we were able to go in and give them a lot more information about what addiction looked like and put peer coaches into their system so that, yeah. you know, so they, they had some interventions to offer. Right. They had and, something uh, to give them. Because even if you are diagnosed with this, without the resources, uh, we, we say it often on this show, without the resources, when it becomes a moment of crisis, you go to Google and the guy with the biggest ad budget is who you call up. And that's not really having done the research and who specializes in what and what's the best opioid, what's best alcohol, what's best inpatient versus medicalness. There's so much information and, you know, that locally, needs to be put. And locally, yes, what, like, what's there? I get two or three phone calls at least every week because I worked at Austin Recovery, which is now out of business because of changing financing models and having to fundraise way more than, than was reasonable every year and then the pandemic exactly. impossible. But like people calling going, you know, I'm desperate, what do I do? And part of what I do is try and keep my finger on the pulse of where help may be and, yeah. and uh, you know, and just trying to find, trying to find resources and for people because inpatient treatment is expensive and nobody wants to pay for it. It is doesn't expensive. want to pay for it. The state doesn't want to pay for it. When they do pay for it, they don't pay enough to keep a place in business. And yeah. then you're down to what will the insurance company pay for? And the insurance company doesn't necessarily pay for the treatment that is needed. So it's it's really kind of a, a catch-22. Um, and, you know, Chris, bigcoollife.com is the easiest way to reach you. Is that correct? Right. I mean, these days, a lot of what I'm doing is working with people, not just people in substance use, but with a uh, people who are stuck, people who are having other issues or who are much earlier in the curve doing exactly. coaching and, and uh, beginning to teach some workshops and stuff. And yeah, if you want to go to bigcoollife.com, you can Yeah, because you you that. you are a tremendous resource. And of course, personalresponsibilityrecovery.com. That is also, uh, uh, we can you know leave a message, uh, hook me up with Chris Gates. We can do that. Um, and, you know, if you want to uh, join our conversation today, uh, of course, 512-836-0590. Uh, certainly call. Um, we've got, oh, maybe about a minute before we have to go to the news here. And, you know, I think when we, when we come back, we might talk a little bit more about uh, the resources that are out there, what those resources look like. But, Chris, the last time you were here, one of the things that resonated so big with me is have a plan. It's like if you're if you're taking 
the self-assessment things online. Am I an addict? Am I an alcoholic? Um, I love the last question. I think you pointed out that the last question is typically, have I ever thought I am an addict? <laughs> That's a big indicator. Do you realize that people who aren't addicts don't fill out these forms? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you are filling that, man, just, just it's yeah, kind it, of a it's, call to it's, action. It's just to overcome that internalized stigma, however. It really, it really is. is. We have to take a pause here for the news, and uh, we're going to be back right after this break. Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Monday at 6 p.m. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Mark Myers. And we're back. Uh, if you're just joining us, I'm Mark Myers. My, uh, and of course, Dr. Kirby Stewart, our host, and uh, our special guest, Chris Gates, today. Uh, you know, the Recovery Hour uh, brought to you by Personal Responsibility Recovery. We're a small 12-bed residential treatment program. Uh, offer substance use disorder treatment for men. And we always say, you know, this this show isn't strictly about us. It's it's not just a platform for us. We invite guests in. We want to destigmatize addiction. We want to increase conversations. We want to get rid of this fallacy that substance use disorder is somehow a, a moral failing or uh, a, a moral deficiency. It's, it's a progressive uh, illness. It is a progressive disorder, and we've got to do a better job with it being the number one, you know, uh, num- number one cause of death between 18 and 45 years old as a community, as an industry, uh, we, we just have to do better with discussions and destigmatizing this. And uh, we've got a great guest today, Chris Gates. We've been talking a lot about this. And, and Dr. Stewart, you were you were uh, before the break and during the break. We were we were talking a lot about what what does it look like that that call to action, that moment of clarity, seeking help, asking for help, getting that stigma out of your mind and. You know, when we get to that point where we can no longer function with or without the use of drugs or, or alcohol, maybe we, we get to that point, I don't know, maybe just before we can no longer well, function yeah. without. You know, I, people in recovery have uh, differing stories about how they got there, for sure, for sure. But I want to uh, focus our conversation right now on the person who isn't sure whether or not they really have a problem and they're thinking about it and they're wondering uh, what life might be like if they stopped uh, drinking or using. And uh, they're not yet at a hard bottom where they're seeing that they can no longer function with or without the drug. They're still functioning. In other words, they're, they're managing, they're functioning, and maybe the thought has occurred that mm, what would life be like without it? And if you're at that place, this is the show for you. This is who we really want to reach out to because presumably you own a radio. Right. If, if, yeah, yeah, Chris Chris put that so eloquently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're listening to this show, you still own a radio. Like, <laughs> maybe even a car to uh, drive yeah, around and listen to it in. Maybe you're driving in a car. And <laughs> right. Yeah. And you, and you don't have to wait until you're sitting in a jail cell or till you're getting a divorce or till it all comes unraveled. And you don't even really have to be ready to make some drastic change to start gathering information and asking questions. Yeah. In fact, I suspect it's a lot easier 
to ask your friends, and I'll tell every single person that's listening, that you are not more than two degrees of separation away from somebody who's either in recovery or knows somebody in recovery. Absolutely. Especially in a town like Austin. Yeah. So rather than waiting for a crisis when you're embarrassed about your behavior and everybody's angry at you or whatever, even if that happened a couple of months ago, it's not happening today because <laughs> you're listening to the radio. And <laughs> then you can start just letting your friends know, look, I have some questions about you know, drug and alcohol use and addiction. Does, does any of you know anybody that knows about that or might have might be sober now? Or so, and somebody will know somebody. And if you're not doing it because of an embarrassing crisis, it's a little yeah. bit easier to approach. And and then once you're connected to somebody, and, and quite honestly, like by the end of this hour, like you're already connected to two to three people regardless because you know you know you know personal responsibility recoveries website and bigcoollife.com is me like so you can reach out to us we don't even absolutely know you. so so yeah. uh, no judgment and no right. judgment that's that's right i a, a friend of mine shared a story uh, just the other day where he's been golfing with the same group of guys now for a long time i want to say years but two or three years and uh, they had lunch together after a round of golf the other day, and they all ordered beers except for my friend. My friend is a friend because he's in recovery. And the, one of the guys after lunch asked him, uh, hey, why don't you ever drink a beer with us? And that led to a series of conversations, and now this guy is getting some help. And he's exactly. not so bad that he requires residential treatment. Right. He's he's now seeing a counselor, doing some outpatient work, and and it might very well save his life, and almost certainly will save his marriage because that's kind of the lead-in. He was having trouble with his uh, marriage because of his drinking. And, and you know, here's like everybody pictures the alcoholic or the addict, homeless or you know, sitting in a jail cell or whatever. But the truth is, for most people, we drink or we use for quite a while, and it's fun, and we're getting away with it. And But then there's a period, and it can last for years. Years where, and years. Where we're, we're drinking and we're using, and it's still mostly fun, but there's starting to be consequences. And they may not be all the time. Yeah. And they may not be drastic most of the time, but they're happening. And, like, at some point, I've, I can admit that, like, Maybe these consequences are tied to my use and not just accidents. Yeah. Because they're not happening to my friends that don't use. Yeah. Or, or who seem more in control. And maybe if I can go gather some information from people who aren't trying to sell me anything, they're just trying to help me get the information I need to get better. Yeah. You know, and I always tell people if, if you're in that conversation, you know, I don't know if you need to be absent for the rest of your life, but it might be a good idea if you did it now for a while. Because really, honestly, at any given moment, 99.9% .9 of the people who are awake and moving around the planet are stone cold sober. So that shouldn't be a challenge. Yeah. And, and our whole just for today thing is kind of a uh, just just forget the rest of your just for today. Take an action. Try to uh, try try to see what that would look like. And and again, five one two eight three six zero five ninety. If you uh, want to join our conversation or have any questions. I know, I know that uh, people are hesitant to call in and say, wow, I've got this serious drug problem on the air. Uh, we get that. <laughs> so personalresponsibilityrecovery.com. That's, uh, that's a place that you can reach well, out and have an honest conversation. Your friend. Yeah, you, that's it. You, you, you got, maybe you I know a guy. I know uncle. a guy. <laughs> you know, but the, the thing is, is that 
even though you may be functioning, you, you, you're able to hold down a job and you're driving to and from work, you're listening to us on the radio on your way home from work, the consequences of drug and alcohol abuse sneak up on you so and quickly. you may not be aware of the fact, let's say, for example, that before you go to bed with your wife at night, you need to hit the, hit the bottle for a couple of shots because uh, it relaxes you and because uh, it kind of puts you in the mood. And I'm going to suggest that if that's going on, you've got a problem. There's because a whole Because it's impossible to be truly present and intimate with your partner if you've got a buzz going. Uh, and that that's a tricky tricky uh, and thing about it. One of the one of the baffling parts about this is for, for most people, and there's a with alcohol, it's more of a physiological allergy, and that manifests itself pretty profoundly right away with people who actually have that. But, yeah. But most people don't have that, and they still develop addiction. And for a really long time, it it's fine, and we're not doing anything different from anybody else. But it gradually begins to shift, and we don't notice because we stop hanging out with those people who aren't doing what we're doing. And and then it's once we get into that consequence zone, life also begins to get a little gray. And you don't exactly. notice the color coming out of things because it happens very slowly. Very slowly. And pretty soon it's just like I'm going through the motions, and it feels like I'm walking around in ankle-deep water all day every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you drink too if, if this was going on. It's like but it doesn't have to be that way. And it's not the nature of the world or life or anything else. It's just you've. I managed to get myself into that spot without even, like, if you picked me up Stone Cold Sober and dropped me into the last four years of of how I was living when I was using it, I would lose my mind. It didn't happen overnight. It happened long and slow. Yeah. And and But being able at any given time to poke your head up and go, I have questions. Yeah. And and that's really the resource. And, and we're coming up again on a break here in just a minute. And But, you know, having been an entrepreneur and, and folks uh, like myself, you can't help but also question sometimes just from a practical, when I was using, I was not my most productive. I wasn't in my family. I wasn't in, you know, uh, any aspect of my life. Now, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I've been in recovery for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, my daughter's 30 years old. She has never seen me under the influence. I've been married for 116 years to the same woman. Uh, she has never seen me use. Um, the, the reality is that if you are experiencing these things right now, you're not as productive. You're not as sharp as you think you are. Everyone else knows it. But there's a lot of changes that can be really pro- not only possible but probable in life that make everything a whole, whole lot better. And that's the, uh, that's the goal for this is to make it better. We're going to be back after a short break here. And, uh, yeah, keep this conversation going, 836-0590. Providing professional opinions, resources, and guidance for addiction treatment every Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. The Recovery Hour with Mark Myers. And welcome back to The Recovery Hour as we kind of wrap our show up here in the next, probably about 10 minutes or so. If you do have any questions or uh, want to join our conversation, 512-836-0590. 
And, uh, you know, again, personal responsibility recovery brings you the uh, recovery hour each week. Our goal is to uh, destigmatize addiction, uh, make sure everybody knows it's okay to ask for help. Substance use disorder is uh, a leading cause of death. We've got to do uh, we've got to do better on that. And, you know, we, right before the break, we were we were talking a little bit about uh, you know, when, when to seek help, maybe, and also what that looks like and not just what it looks like, but. You know, we, we I go to a lot of meetings, and one of them was we have to be honest with ourselves. And that's what I would challenge anyone listening to right now that kind of halfway thinks, be honest. Where are you? If you are questioning whether or not there is a challenge here with substance use disorders in your life, 99% of the people don't do that. So... You, there, there could be something to that. Does that sound like accurate that's, information, that's Dr. Fair, Kirby? That's fair to say, yeah. <laughs> it, it, again, it, this sounds like a trivialization of your intelligence, but the truth is if you're wondering whether or not you have a problem, you probably have a problem. And, and it and it's never hurts to get it addressed, to talk to a professional, to talk to somebody who knows. As Chris was saying earlier, you're, you're less than three degrees of separation from somebody who's in recovery anyway, especially in Austin. So ask around about it. And you may be functioning, by and large, pretty well in life, but I promise you this is a chronic disorder. It never gets better on its own. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, and it's going to cost you in ways that you don't realize Uh primarily in the arena of relationship and, and an ability to connect with other people and to be authentic in your relationships. Uh, addiction gets in the way of authenticity. It gets in the way of connection. Uh, and yet, you know, a lot of artists and musicians uh, seem to do pretty well snockered about half the time. I know, Chris, you, you're a musician, what 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 was your experience like? It, it, it's that it's and I know in a town like this, it's like something that comes up a lot. And happily, there's a fair amount of support with the Sims Foundation and Ham and absolutely and a lot of awareness through that. But it's like you know, it starts out in your garage with your buddies for fun on the weekends, and then at some point, it becomes your job. But nobody ever wonders why I have to get drunk to do my job. Like if my dentist had to get drunk to do his job, I'm going to a different dentist. <laughs> but because of what I do for a living, it's, yeah. it's completely acceptable. And, and, you know, I'm old friends with Steve Earle, and he's very public about his recovery, so I'm not outing anything. But he made a tribute record to Towns Van Zandt, and every night when he was out on that tour, he was explaining to the audience that Towns wasn't a phenomenal songwriter because of his drinking. In fact, we got all these amazing songs out of towns in spite of the alcohol, not because of it. And we were robbed of a whole bunch of other songs that he was just too drunk to write. And it killed him early. Yeah. And, and I've heard other people say that about amazing band members. Like what songs might we have gotten if Keith Richards wasn't stuck in a heroin addiction for 10 or 12 years? Yeah. You know, and like, I mean, got some great ones early on, but sort of petered out there after a while. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, you know, but in that world, I was drinking and using like everybody I knew. And as long as I was making money, it, it seemed like it was okay. And it was colorful in my 20s and embarrassing in my 30s. And you know, it'll kill you after that. And, and being able to realize this, like, if I want to do this and really be creative, like, 
I was the most successful I ever was in my music career while I was completely strung out on heroin. But the best things I've ever created have been since I got sober. Not the most successful, but the most satisfying uh-huh. and the most fully realized. And, you know, and I know an awful lot of people who managed to address their issues and learn how to be creative and do their job, maybe not even without stopping everything, but without having to do it while they're playing and without letting it get in the way of their creative process. And they did it much earlier in the curve because it's presented to them earlier now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, and you have to kind of look at your surroundings because dr- drug of choice and everything else is largely a function of who I'm around. And if, exactly. if everybody around me is doing what I'm doing, then I might not know it's a problem, but half of them aren't addicts. They're just in a little bit over their heads and they're going to knock it off when they get a good reason. Yeah. And, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to have fewer friends. And, yeah. and I want to take that away from, or take away from that also that, uh, you know, I, I spent 40 years as a photographer. I still am uh, and a writer. And I was terrified when I got sober and got clean that I could not be that creative person. Yet the next 20 years as a professional photographer, I, it was, it wasn't an issue because I was my genuine self. But I also think that translates into almost everything. If you're an executive, how much better manager are you I mean, if dude, you're present? The goal in the late 80s and early 90s was to see how loaded I could get and still play songs that I wrote. <laughs> and I didn't always manage it. Yeah. It's like I look back on it now and go, what was I thinking? I wasn't that good before I started drinking. <laughs> now, you know, it's like, oh, my God. Like, I'm, there's so much more space in the music. And I think of so much more interesting things to say. And Absolutely. Know, and, you know, and I have this philosophy that, like, as a, as a songwriter in your 20s, your emotions are enormous. And eventually they start coming out of you and ending up in a song. And, and as you keep writing songs, you get better and better. And in your late 20s and early 30s, you get really good at it. And the best rock records are made by people between 28 and 31 or 32. But eventually your emotions stop being overwhelming. Uh-huh. And if you're not careful, you end up writing very well-crafted who cares. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, and why all my favorite artists were addicts was because they stayed overwhelmed longer. And uh-huh. they got better and better at the craft and were more and more overwhelmed by their emotions until they were unfunctional. Yeah. But how do I put that emotional core into what I'm doing without having to be overwhelmed by it? Because I'm too old for that now. Mm-hmm. I can't. I'm not. I'm no longer trying to perfect a manner of living that was marginally functional in my twenties. <laughs> you know. Well, I know that that once it is out of the way, once the once the substance use is out of the way, and, I, and Dr. Kirby, I think you would probably back me up on this. Yeah. The once we become our authentic self and we get those relationships back, and and you're able to you're able to function in a way that you haven't in several years because you're no longer relying on the substance use, the alcohol, the drugs. It's it's uh, clearer thinking. I'm not sure the word I'm looking for on that, but uh, clarity, clarity is a good it, word it, for it, it. Absolutely. It allows you to be one's real self. Yeah. Well, you know, a, a, a lot of folks think they are their authentic self uh, when they're slightly under the influence because being under the influence helps you feel good about the moment at hand. Right. The trouble is that that's so transient that you end up chasing it crazy, 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 like a dog chasing his tail. That's, that's basically addiction. 
And if if you're wondering, you know, Chris passed over it a moment ago. Uh, what did you say, Chris? Uh, people who are using with you who do not have the addictive brain can knock it off and and do well uh, when they get too old for well, it. Well, some or, consequence will happen and they'll just stop. And it's the same stop. consequence happens to me. And I go, uh, like, I have a friend who got a DUI and he and another guy were standing there and the judge said, if I ever see you in my court again, I'm going to put you in jail, put you in prison. And the other guy was never going to drink again. And my buddy started wondering about prison because <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. he, <laughs> he had places to go and he knew he was going to keep drinking. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and you know, and kind of, the, and that's and, normal. And at the end here too, it's like we were, you were talking about asking for help and stuff. And my wife, bless her heart. I love her dearly. She's my literally my better half. Like, she has been telling me for, for 17 years, like, walk it off is not a health plan. <laughs> you know? and, 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 you know, an addiction is part of health. And Absolutely. substance use, we don't even have to call it addiction. Substance use is part of health. And I can't, I may be too far in to just walk it off without a plan, and I may not be able to put together a successful plan without somebody who knows more somebody about it Somebody who helped. Exactly. That's the and, key. And, yeah. I, and you know, I, I'm perfectly willing to go to my doctor and go, what's this? <laughs> this yeah. bump on my arm, what's that? But, yeah. But I have to be willing to do that either with professionals we have to be willing to or a therapist help. or a friend. Yeah. And, and if you're not at that point, if you're one of those folks, if you think you might be one of those folks that can just knock it off, then, then do. Absolutely. Just, just knock it off and see what happens over the next 90 days. And, you know, we're not addressing everybody out there. I don't want anybody to think we're, we're down to this the very last few seconds of our program. This is not addressed at a casual drinker. It's not addressed at someone who comes home and enjoys a, a drink. No. It's addressed for the person who says, I'm not going to drink today. Yeah. And then at 4 o'clock they're loaded. Or nine, I'm not going to drink this weekend, and by Wednesday they're out. Yeah, 9 out of 10 people have 100% control over how much they drink and use 100% of the time. And if you but don't. the other 1 in 10 yeah. doesn't. Not 100% of the time. And yeah. we have to wrap up our show this week. Uh, wish it was longer, but it's not. Uh, personalresponsibilityrecovery.com. We can help.